Welcome to Serve Sustain, the podcast that explores the problems in our food system and the entrepreneurs working to solve them. I'm Liv. And I'm Olivia, the English one. Yes, we have the same name, but hopefully Liv and Olivia and our different accents are distinction enough. Together, we hope to show you that through innovation and determination, we can eat better for ourselves and the planet. Is there any snack more satisfying than popcorn? For many Americans, the answer must be no, because we consume 15 billion quarts of it every single year. That's enough to fill the Empire State Building 18 times. And as much as we associate the best popcorn with a concession stand at a movie theater, sports game, or concert, 70% of it is actually consumed in our very own homes. We swear this fact was pre-COVID. And as great as it is to sit down on the couch with a snack in your pajamas, let's face it, microwave popcorn is filled with chemicals, however delicious that artificial butter may be. And bagged popcorn, well, it can be bland and tasteless. So today we want to present you with your ultimate homebody popcorn solution, Bjorn corn. It's not just that Bjorn corn tastes so good. And trust us, once you try it, your taste buds will be loyal for life. But it's also an incredibly ethically made product. It's plant-based, sourced from small farms, and coolest of all, popped by the sun. It has a fraction of the carbon footprint of its competitors. So without further ado, we want to turn it over to Bjorn Korn's founders, Bjorn and Jamie. The two met at Bard College as roommates, but as today's episode shows, their relationship went well beyond that of friends. They have started a product that I, as a consumer, am proud to purchase. Bjorn and Jamie, it is an absolute pleasure to have you two with us today. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Be here. So to start, Bjorn, you are the son of a Minnesota corn farmer. What was it like growing up on a small farm? Well, it was pretty solitary. I, I learned how to entertain myself uh, on the on the corn farm. Where I come from, you have to drive on gravel roads about five miles before you you hit the the pavement, um, and I loved it. I didn't know anything else but it. And I played in the sandbox with tractors while watching my dad in the field, just kind of slowly going back and forth. Um, but it was a small farm. Uh, it was pretty simple. We had corn, we had soybeans, we had wheat. And eventually people even stopped growing wheat and it became just corn and soybeans everywhere. So hold on. You personally saw the transition on your father's own farm from growing wheat, like you were saying, to these cash crops, yeah? Yeah, exactly. People were like, well, this doesn't make any money anymore. I guess we're not doing that anymore. And Jamie, you also grew up in farm country, correct? Did you by any chance witness this consolidation as well? I I saw it too. I'm also from farm country. in upstate New York. Uh, my uh, father was a veterinarian in uh, large animal dairy. Um, and so he would drive around all day doing uh, farm calls to these small family dairies that are 
still there to some degree, but um, a lot of them have um, gone by the wayside since I was a kid. And mostly dairy is moving to areas where you can where you can have a larger farm. All right, so the two of you get to campus at Bard College and you find out your roommates. You have this similar background growing up on farm country, however, in different states. But again, when was this magic moment where you said, hey, we should start a popcorn business together? Well, for me, it was because it was an important um, food when I was growing up. It was something that my grandparents made a lot. I think that I think that it surged in popularity in the Great Depression. And so it was something they made a lot for their kids who were my parents and, uh, or at least um, my mother. My father's parents, I don't think ever had any particular popcorn knowledge. It kind of came through my mother's line, I suppose. But, um, but we just popped a lot of popcorn. We ate it every week. We ate it for uh, Sunday night meals frequently. Um, and, and, um, I brought it to school and people really liked what I was serving. And I know there are lots of other things, but popcorn's really simple. There's, yeah. there's, uh, you know, if you're going to make tortillas, you have to go through nixtamalization and all this stuff and pressing and, and popcorn is a seed that blows up and you're done. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to start a popcorn business, but didn't know how, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I did not, not necessarily just not know how, but not know even what it would look like. Like, uh, how am I gonna do this? My things that went through my head were, am I going to pop popcorn live at a bar or something like that? Um, Jamie came to me, um, I was working at a museum in New York City and he was working at this art gallery and we would meet to play catch in Central Park. And he came to me with a proposal. All right, and what was that proposal? Use it as a test bed for this uh, solar dish design that I wanted to put in a commercial trial. Jamie, you say that so casually, but you wanted to use popcorn to test a solar panel that you had been working on. It is a reasonably common way to test uh, dishes. You know, you can find YouTube videos of people doing it for fun in their backyard. Um, it uh, is a high temperature range as far as cooking processes go. And um, it's, it is power sensitive because you need the popcorn to pop in a certain amount of time. Uh, so it is kind of a good test application, but it's just a happy coincidence that I had a friend who wanted to start a popcorn company and I had a source of commercial heat that I needed a, a test bed for. And so I got involved with the company initially to, to run that trial. So Bjorn and Jamie, you formed this relationship, then what? How did you take this from idea to actual product? I would say that over the next two years, with a lot of testing, getting pretty far into it w without having all of the information we needed, there were there were moments through that process where like, okay, it really does, the popcorn really does pop by the sun. Okay, <laughs> that's cool. And yeah. then like, oh, later on, oh, 
how are, how are we actually going to season our popcorn commercially? Is it going to come out right? All this stuff. And, um, and once we like had the actual recipe down to the gram and it was coming out right a lot, it was like, wow, we actually have something. And so there, those were the moments I'd say where things became clear that, um, and then of course it was like, will anybody buy it? And then somebody says yes. And it's literally sitting on the store of a shelf in like Fort Greene, Brooklyn. You're like, there it is. And, yep. it, and like, uh, you're like, feel slightly embarrassed that you're even out there like why would anybody buy your popcorn and then it just over time slowly just became legit <laughs> so even after you got that first product i'm sure that the technology you use to pop popcorn with the sun has changed correct so could you just walk us through how you were originally popping it with the sun versus how you are today? Sure, yeah, that's that's sort of uh, my, my uh, field here. And uh, we went through like three different iterations there um, of a, an initial dish that was a um, uh, hemisphere that is uh, carved directly into the ground. So that was the uh, novel aspect that the dish itself was a geometry that you can leave in in the ground and so we could make the dish very large very inexpensively uh, and uh, that would it's a mirror lined um, shape that would focus sunlight rays onto a commercial popcorn kettle that was floating on a aperture or an apparatus um, and would track the sun throughout the day and we would bring a popcorn kettle out to it heat it up for five minutes that's how long the batch takes and take it off bring it inside and put it into the seasoning and bagging process. Come back outside with that big kettle. It was very labor intensive, um, but we made a lot of popcorn that way actually. Uh, and uh, the uh, second iteration was a similar dish, but with more automation. We we're sort of gradually progressing it towards something that could be um, more easily uh, integrated into a commercial kitchen. Um, without the labor intensity and the outdoor operation in the middle of the winter, um, especially in the Hudson Valley where there's a lot of snow. So there's some design constraints uh, for a specific location that made it harder than it needed to be for pure research purposes. But in any event, the uh, step that we ended at was uh, heating a transfer medium, uh, a hot oil loop um, that would bring the heat indoors to more conventional equipment. And that was sort of beyond our engineering chops. And the popcorn was popular. Uh, and so we were starting to have trouble keeping up with the demand. Um, also, along that time, it was about a five year period, the price of conventional solar panels really plummeted. Uh, it fell by many times. And uh, it was pretty clear that we could make a very practical solar kitchen uh, with conventional photovoltaics. Uh, so we power now uh, electric kettles with a solar array on a roof that uh, right now the solar array is substantially outpacing the kettles. The last, I looked at a couple days ago and we made something like 500% of the energy that we use in the popcorn kennels this month. Um, and so a lot of our building energy, maybe this month even all, all the electric load, I, don't quote me on that though. Um, came from the solar array on, on the roof, which 
has no movie parts and you don't need to go out with a big popcorn kettle on. I feel like I just got a brief engineering lesson there. But just really quickly, how does this differ from conventional popping? What are the benefits? What that means is that we are using the heat of the sun directly to uh, pop the popcorn. So there's no like conversion to electric current and back to heat. Um, uh, it's dead simple focusing uh, rays of sunlight uh, until they are able to achieve the temperature on the bottom of a vessel uh, that can pop popcorn. What I'd like to add to that too is that um, it, you ask uh, if, how, if it's different than conventional popping in some ways. And um, it, it is not in one sense in that you are heating a kettle but what happened was that we ended up with a varying, um, a varying batch times, which caused us to see a great variety of outcomes in the popcorn. Um, now, most popcorn companies wouldn't have experienced this because they would have purchased a kettle and it would have done one thing and that's what they would have expected it to do. So we saw this large range of how popcorn can turn out yeah. based on um, how clear it is outside or whether a cloud came by and interrupted the sun. And we got to know the exact point at which we preferred popcorn. Yeah. And then we took that and we reverse engineered it on conventional kettles to come out the way we wanted. Yeah, so it's actually a great culinary learning experience to have this wild, out of control equipment um, that we had to learn to master. And we saw, like Bjorn said, all the different ways that popcorn came out. And we like, realized that we uh, like a different batch than we're normally getting served in a bag of popcorn. Like we, uh, we use a different uh, uh, batch time than your average uh, popcorn company for culinary reasons. And now I just want to back up from how you cook your popcorn to where you source it. I read that Bjorn corn uses a lot of the uh, kernels still from Bjorn's original farm, as well as from a few small local farms in and around New York. So can you talk about that decision? Because I'm sure you probably could have saved yourself plenty of money by buying from a massive corporate farm in the Midwest. Yeah, well, we early on, we did source it from a large organic popcorn um, company in the Midwest. And so what we, what we instead did was focus less on organic and focus more on really hyper-local sourcing. And so Chris Kelder's farm is not organic, but uh, we can be right up close to the process. And that, that was more valuable to us than um, a company that might import organic popcorn from Argentina that uh, is questionable the the veracity of their claims and so um and so it's not super expensive for us to deal with chris kelder in terms of him growing it because he he charges a nominal amount for the popcorn we get but what we buy into then is that we're part of the agriculture process we dry it we clean it we figure all that stuff out which is uh, which is a forgotten aspect of farming. You think that you just, for a lot of things, yes, you do grow it, harvest it, and sell it. But when it comes to human food, there's a lot of processing that has to happen, and that's the end 
that we decided to include ourselves on. So, you know, overall, it would certainly be cheaper and uh, easier to just buy popcorn uh, on a larger scale. But like Bjorn said, we want to know where it happens. We want to know the people who grow it and how, how it happens. And it's interesting for us. So important to keep small farms diverse and working within the community, uh, not just serving people, but serving businesses in the community. Um, and then just moving to your specific recipe. So I am mostly vegan and I was actually shocked to see that you guys season it with nutritional yeast because so many people don't know what that is or they think it's weird because it has the word yeast in it. So why that seasoning as opposed to, you know, a cheddar cheese derived or caramel for kettle corn? It was important. It was important to us to create a product that everyone can eat. Um, and I grew up eating popcorn with nutritional yeast on it. My friend's uh, family introduced me to it. And, um, and it's a very well-known thing. We run into people all the time. They're like, oh, we did that all the time growing up. And so one of the questions that we had starting this business was, um, can we get away with uh, selling a popcorn with something called yeast on it? Because uh, I think that I think that might have been the reason why nobody had done it before, or maybe if they had, they had sort of hidden the fact, hidden that kind of spice into a word called spices or or whatever. And so we were going to step out and be the ones to just say that's what we're doing. We're not. It's it's popcorn with nutritional yeast. Um, yeah. and, and the reason why that was what we were doing is because that is what I was making in college for my friends and that is what everybody loved. And it was clear that people were getting, um, hooked on it. And, um, I grew up eating a lot of popcorn with butter on it and it gave me a stomach ache. And so I knew that this stuff made you feel good too. And, um, I didn't want. I wanted to serve something that gave you a good experience all around. And I, and I was convinced that that was it. And, um, and I think that it does put me in a good mood. I think it does help regulate sleep to a certain extent. Uh, it has, it has those qualities um, that are really nice attributes that not all snack foods have. And you guys have since rolled out two new flavors, cloudy, which is your salty, uh, and your spicy. So I was just wondering, is the classic still the best seller, but also what's your personal favorite? Absolutely. The classic is the, is the best seller. Uh, that's what people want. Um, and the, the spicy is for people who love spice and some people are really hooked on it. And I'm one of them. Uh, yep. yep. <laughs> I actually go for cloudy because I love the simplicity of it. Um, I'm so, sort of a fan of just unsalted popcorn right out of a kettle, uh, personally. Um, You're not going to be yeasted, but uh, so cloudy's my favorite. Uh, I think that it's funny too because usually people will sell this. We'll sell this mixed pack of our three flavors and. 
once a week, somebody's like, can I get like the classic and the spicy, but no cloudy? And some, or the next person would be like, can I get the classic and the cloudy, but no spicy? It's yeah. always one of those two things. It's never some other way around. But I think that the cloudy and the spicy people are at odds with each other. <laughs> <laughs> one wants a kick and one doesn't. Yeah, true. <laughs> I can't wait to try it. I think I would be more into the spicy myself. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say cloudy. That is so funny. Yeah, I'm simple. <laughs> cloudy has a great story, too, because based on that, what we were talking about with um, finding out the different ways that popcorn can turn out, cloudy is a reference to clouds interrupting the sun and the popcorn batch goes longer. So the cloudy is actually cooked for a longer time period than the other corn. So it gets crispier and darker and is more roasted. So the, so, um, and Jamie built a little circuit with a little cloud above it that we click when we're ready to make cloudy corn. Yeah, it literally just interrupts the power at an interval as if clouds were going in front of the sun. Um, and uh, it makes it run long and roasty like Bjorn described. We discovered it accidentally, but we were saving it for ourselves at the end of the day uh, and realized it was a flavor unto itself. I mean, as we've talked, it's just really impressive to hear about how ethical your product is from an environmental and humanity standpoint. So where did this sense of ethics and business come from? We come from a liberal arts college uh, where these things are, we were steeped in an environment that, that demanded respect of the natural world. And um, I, for us going into a business, we knew that we needed to do it right. And so taking all the steps we can to um, meet those standards uh, has always been very important to us. So we've heard a lot about your success today, but what was the hardest part for you with getting Bjorn Corn going and off of the ground? Uh, but everybody who starts a small business, um, eh, like in, in wholesaling, particularly in wholesale manufacturing, you uh, have to work for a long time before you clear your overhead and start being able to hire somebody else to do it. And there's a moment where you go to your day job and then at night you go out to the factory to fix a problem and uh, the next day you make it and then you get in a car and you drive it around and then you do the bookkeeping. Uh, Bjorn, Bjorn did the bookkeeping. I, I, but uh, it there's with every business there's that hurdle of getting over where it seems like you might not be able to make the next leap uh, and uh, we've only you know we've only had employees uh, at the company for three years or four years I think um, so there was a lot of work to be done. Well, if you guys could go back and tell yourself one thing before starting this, what would it be? Uh, well, you know, the invention portion of the business, that like, it's really easy to answer that question because you're doing experiments and you just go back and tell yourself the outcomes of the experiments. I would say, I would tell myself not to embark on the third stage of the solar thermal project uh, and just switch to a research phase at that point. But honestly, maybe we couldn't have made the investment in our uh, electric facility. So I, that might have not have been useful advice. What about you, Bjorn? Uh, you know, I just 
I just feel like this has gone so well. I don't want to. I don't want to change anything. So uh, I like. I um, yeah. I'm just very very pleased at the the level of enthusiasm and how small we still are. And I I started wanting to make a cult snack, and I feel like it's working. So uh, I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> Bjorn and Jamie, we cannot thank you enough for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure to hear about the incredible company and product that you have created together. Listeners, if you would like to try Bjorn Corn for yourself, please head to their website. You can order it directly to their door or use their retail finder to find a store near you. Until next time, happy eating. <laughs>